a former major in the Israeli army. He's been through several wars, but now he's found peace in Jesus. David Zadok is a native of Israel, and I want you to know how he met his Messiah and then devoted his life to the ministry he's doing today. Coming to you now from Israel, I'm Charles Morris, and this is the Great Stories Podcast. And as I'm walking where Jesus walked, in Galilee, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and then on to Jordan, I can't help but think back to a few of the great conversations I've had with my friend David. We had him on Haven Today in 2010 and 2014 to talk about his story. And just a moment, you're going to hear about the violence he had gone through early in life and the groundbreaking ministry that he still does in Israel today as a pastor. I'm excited for you to meet him. I'm positive that you'll come away from this episode with a new appreciation of your Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua, as they call him in Israel. Let's get started. This is Haven today from San Diego, California. But a good friend of mine is in the U.S. from Israel right now. David Zadok, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's great to be back, Charles. And uh, uh, we've had you give your testimony before, but we're doing a series right now on Christians You Should Know. And uh, our listeners are meeting people, and I thought, well, since you were here, we should talk just a little bit more, because you are now the head of the oldest Christian witness mission agency in Israel, and uh, I know you don't brag about that, so yeah. I get to say that. Uh, well, I'm the field director of uh, CWI in Israel. Yeah. Okay, which which uh, Hagefen would be the name, pardon my Hebrew, but that's what it would be in, yes, in Israel. Yes, in Israel, yeah, Hagefen oh. Publishing. Okay, and we're having people tell about how they met Jesus. And of course, you're an unusual bird because you're Jewish and you live in Israel. You're a, a former major in the Israeli army, communications. and uh, But you actually met Jesus, Yeshua, as your savior when you came to school in America. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, uh, it is un- a little bit unusual because... Uh, when we think about it, two thousand years ago, when uh, when Gentiles started to believe in uh, in Jesus as the Messiah, uh, the church didn't know what to do. In fact, in Acts fifteen, the first council was just about that: what, how to deal with these Gentiles that not only believe in the God of Israel but in the Messiah of Israel. Because the early Christians were all Jewish. Were Jewish. Yes. But then all of a sudden, the Gentiles began to overwhelmed the number of Jews, Jews that had become followers of Jesus. Of Messiah. And now about 2,000 years later, when a Jewish person comes to faith uh, in the in the Jewish Messiah, it becomes a phenomena. So you show up in California and have to come all the way to the west coast of the United States to meet Jesus. Yes, and that tells us something about God's sovereignty and his love uh, for the people, that there is nothing too difficult for him to do. Mm. And in my case, you know, as you've mentioned, I was born in Israel, grew up in Iran. At age of 16, I ended up halfway across the globe in California. And only a few months after I've been here, for the first time, I would hear the gospel uh, through the ministry of the navigators and uh, to, to a Gentile person that him and I had 
basically nothing in common. He was a pharmacist, probably about uh, 15, 20 years older than me. I was in college at the time. I mean, I was basically in high school, was just finishing my last year of high school. Uh, and yet, uh, to him, I heard the gospel, and later on, as I started to study uh, the scripture, because he, he encouraged me to read the gospel of John. And, and you've told me before, you had never even seen a New Testament in your life, yes, had you? Yes, in fact, I've never seen a New Testament except that night when they opened it. And then, of course, God, uh, in a very um, unique way, a month before that event, he uh, kind of planted a Bible in my room that I was going to get rid of it because it had the New Testament. I ended up leaving it there and I said I would find someone that I can give it to him because I couldn't throw it because it had the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew and Bible. that had to be protected. Yeah, so. that, yeah that couldn't be uh, torn out. Mm. <laughs> and so when I came back to my room uh, after that conversation, uh, I opened it up and that was the first time that actually I was physically holding the New Testament in my hand and started to read the Gospel of John because that's where I was recommended to start. Were you excited? I think I was more confused than excited because, uh, you know, when I, for the first time after they shared the gospel with me, I, one of the first things that came to my mind was that if this is true, how is it that for so many years I have never heard of it and nobody in my family, not in Israel, not in Iran, not anybody that I know uh, has ever known that or mentioned that to me. But you had Moses. You were a Jew. So you didn't need Jesus. You weren't a Gentile. Well, uh, it's true that we had Moses, and uh, as uh, as Paul said, you know, as the Jewish people, we have the tradition, we have the covenants, but at the same time, uh, you know, Moses, who was a great prophet, could not, although he could show us to the right Messiah, but he himself could not save us. So as a Jewish person, uh, I needed uh, the Messiah to uh, to atone for my sins. Mm. You were about probably 16, 17 years old, something like that. You were living in San Diego, where we are today. Mm-hmm. Six months later, what happened? Well, during those six months, I kept, um, I continued to read uh, mainly the Gospel of John. And of course, my English wasn't so good. That's why it took me a, a, a while. Uh, <laughs> this was in English, right? It, it this was, was not in, in modern Hebrew. Yeah, it was definitely And we'll in get English. to that about the Bible in modern Hebrew in a few minutes. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it was in English, and but the thing that was very interesting was it was as if God is putting each time uh, a piece of puzzle in its place. And after those six months, that puzzle was completed, and God uh, opened my heart and my eyes to realize uh, the full picture. You know, uh, often we refer to that as the God's uh, redemptive plan of salvation, just to see that that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, that from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and onwards, uh, God is talking about the day that he would come, uh, that he would bring uh, salvation to the world. Tell our listeners about the very first time, six months after you're given this Bible or it shows up in your room and then someone says, read the Gospel of John, you actually prayed in the name of Jesus, but it was an unusual way to pray in the name of Jesus. You weren't yet a Christian, but go yes, ahead. Yes, I, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't a Christian, but as I was told that you know, um, often we read in the New Testament that you know God answers our prayers and that we need to pray in the name of Jesus. I was playing uh, because I was in the uh, in the dormitory, living in the dormitory. I was in the student lounge uh, playing pool. 
against this Persian guy that he was unbeatable. And he, in fact, they would call him the, the shark. He was a pool shark. He was a pool shark. <laughs> yes, definitely. And you know, on that particular day, it came my turn to play against him. And he has finished all of his balls and he had only the eight ball left. And it was my turn and I had three more. Uh, and the balls were set up in such a way that I had no idea uh, what to do with them. And he told me that if you hit the ball in this way, go in that one and in this way, like a triangle shot, which I couldn't even imagine. And just uh, before I hit the ball, I said in Jesus' name. And for the first time in probably in the history for, with, for that guy and certainly for me, I won the game and I beat him. And that was, you know, obviously we can no, laugh no, about it. You're not suggesting for everyone to start praying in Jesus' name to win a pool game. But of course, God was at work yeah. in, your, in your heart. I mean, I, I even had no idea what I was doing, except that after reading and after, you know, just seeing a lot of things, it was kind of, in a sense, I guess I was trying to test God. Uh, and, you know, and of course, we shouldn't put God to test. But in that case, I think God had, you know, as we often say, you know, childlike faith. Yes. That was exactly what it was. And I and God, and I think, answered He graciously answered your prayer, yeah. but that was the next step to lead you yeah. to atone, to ask for Jesus to atone for your sins. Exactly. And since then, I've never prayed in his name when I played pool to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> But I've prayed with you many times in Jesus' name. And, yes, uh, certainly. And he has answered many other prayers. And, he does. Uh, we see that in Israel today in your work. Uh, if you just joined us, David Zadok, who's Jewish, is is uh, in, from the greater, I guess I can say greater Tel Aviv area, is on with us today. But we're broadcasting from San Diego. David, let's talk about the work that your organization is doing in Israel today. First of all, you're translating the Bible. Why do we need the Bible translated in Israel today? Isn't it there? Well, it is there, but the Masoretic text of the Old Testament uh, uh, was the language that, even if we go back to the time of David, we we're talking about 3,000 years ago. So the Masoretic is ancient Hebrew. It's ancient Hebrew, which since then the, uh, the language has developed. The vocabulary has changed. The grammar has changed. And so today, average Israeli, when they read the Bible, particularly books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Job, or the Psalms, uh, probably 60-70%, if not more, of what they read, they cannot understand. And that's why we feel that it's really important for us to bring the, the Bible the Word of God, into a modern Hebrew so that average Israeli can read it. And the, wo the work that we are doing is actually translating it word by word, verse by verse. Uh, and we've done almost uh, this October, we'll do the fourth volume, which is the Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. Mm -hmm. And then we are hoping to complete it by the end of uh, 2012. How long has it taken you to translate the uh, scriptures well, to date? We've been, we've been working on it for 12 years now. Let's talk about Jews meeting Jesus today. Today, actually, uh, again, you know, it's hard to talk about statistics or the number, and I'm not sure how accurate they might be, but they talk that there are probably somewhere between twelve to 15,000 Jewish uh, believers who live in Israel, including adults and, and children. Mm. That is significant. Uh, well, that is certainly significant, uh, again, comparing to uh, 15 or 20 years ago. 
uh, and if and if the number of the Jewish believers would continue to grow in the same percentage, uh, you know, I think v- in maybe in 10, 15 years, uh, we would have a large, a far larger percentage uh, of Jewish uh, Christians uh, in Israel. And your organization, Hagefen, uh, the oldest Christian mission group working in Israel, uh, you um, you publish, but you also are involved in more evangelistic programs too. And and uh, I know you just finished one just a number of months ago, and you received an amazing number of phone calls, didn't you? Yeah, we in in October we had uh, we did an evangelistic campaign in conjunction with other organizations and other uh, churches in Israel. Uh, and during the two weeks of the campaign, we had uh, 500 people uh, who called to receive the booklet uh, and the copy of the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that 500 people came to faith, but that certainly means that 500 Jewish people were open enough to ask uh, for the for the booklet that we published and also to read the New Testament. And you had a telephone number that you were giving out, and uh, you were even hearing from rabbinical students too, weren't you? Yeah, one of the days that I was actually sitting at the call center, I received a call, uh, which was a relatively long conversation, was about 15 minutes that we were uh, speaking, and they were asking a lot of uh, very interesting questions about how can I, as a Jew, believe in Jesus as the Messiah? And as I was talking about the various verses from the Old Testament, and we were speaking about towards the end of the conversation, they said, well, we need to, we need to go, uh, we need to end the conversation. And These I were two young men. Two young men that were sitting, they had the hand free set in their car, uh, and they were, as I was talking to them. And so I told him, I said, listen, if you give me your address, I can send you the book. And he said, well, uh, you don't bother because it won't get to us because we were studying in the yeshiva, which is a Jewish uh, seminary to becoming for, for those who want to... Uh, those New Testaments would have been confiscated quickly uh, had yeah, they shown and, up in the mail. Yes, and they would have, they probably would have been in trouble themselves. So I had a, just before they hang up, I just gave them our website. So, well, if you want to know more, visit, uh, Go visit the, website. the website. And, and that wouldn't be monitored. David Zadok, my Jewish brother in Jesus, Yeshua. How can we pray for you and for your ministry? And, and uh, it's never easy to live and work in Israel, but you're doing it. You're on the front line. How can we pray for you? I think probably the most important thing to pray for us is to pray what uh, King Solomon asked God uh, when he was uh, in that dream, and that is to pray that the Lord would give us wisdom as uh, there are a lot of challenges, uh, the, the resources are very few, the needs are great, and I think the greatest need that we have is to have wisdom uh, how to faithfully uh, bring the gospel to the Jewish people and how faithfully help the church to be, uh, to be established uh, in, a, in a greater and in a more significant way uh, in the land of the Holy One. And it's another day and another program to talk about you're in a church of 500 mainly Russian Jewish immigrants and God in his providence is calling Russian Jews that got out of the old Soviet Union and in amazing numbers are calling them to faith but that's the way the Lord works isn't it uh, yeah I mean uh, the number um, the, the fall of the Soviet uh, former Soviet Union 
was uh, was a great blessing uh, for the church in Israel because a large number of uh, Russian immigrants came to Israel. Many of them were open to the gospel. Some of them who came, they were already uh, believers. And the churches grew up with, uh, in a significant uh, numbers. Our own church, uh, Grace and Truth, we used to have about uh, 40 people. And within five, six years, uh, we grew up to about 400. Now we are probably about uh, 170 as uh, we've gone through some changes uh, in the life of the church. But nevertheless, average church in Israel today has probably 20, 30, 60, 70 percent, depending on the church, uh, Russian immigrants uh, as part of the congregation. Mm. Praise God for that. And now let's fast forward to 2014 in Jerusalem, where I got to hear more of David's story, as well as his ministry in Israel, pastoring a church and leading a gospel-based publishing company. Welcome to Haven Today, and we're walking where Jesus walked this week, but we're taking one more detour, and we're going to Tel Aviv, the largest city in the country. And a friend of mine we've had on the program before, uh, Reverend Pastor David Zadok. Uh, w- welcome, David. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here again. And I'm on your turf. I just need to say David, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> You've fine. given your testimony, your story of how you, uh, as a Jew, met the Lord, Yeshua. But what I want us to do on this time today, like I said, we're on your turf, we're in your office. You are a pastor, aren't you, first and foremost? Yes, I had the, the honor and also the, the privilege of being the pastor of Grace and Truth Congregation, which is uh, one of the older congregations that was uh, established in Israel in 1976. And we've had your predecessor, Baruch Mehaz, on the program before giving his story as well. In fact, mm-hmm. he likes to say at his wedding, maybe 45 years ago, 50 years ago, you could fit almost every believing Jew in the country in his living room. But thankfully, things have changed. Absolutely. Yes. Now, now it's it's still a very tiny percentage, the the number of believers among Jews in Israel, but yet it's grown so much, hasn't it? Yes. Well, the number or the percentage is very small. You know, the probably fifteen thousand mm-hmm. uh, Jewish believers in a country that uh, we are about almost uh, more than seven and a half million of those about six and a half are Jew uh, are Jewish people, so the percentage is small. But comparing to even 10 years ago, the influence and the impact of the Jewish believers has grown significantly. We see that as part of the great work that God is doing uh, in, in the country uh, among our people. Truly, a revival. It may not be as many people as, say, in China, but among Jews who are a very small population group in the world, it's a big deal. Well, it is a big deal, especially because uh, in in many ways, uh, God in his timing and because of his faithfulness to his covenants and to his promises uh, is bringing uh, slowly but surely more and more uh, Jewish people to himself. And one of the things that we are really seeing that, uh, especially in the last couple of years, is that we are seeing more and more people who are second generation mm. and young people. In fact, the last... Uh, two or three baptism services that we had in our congregation had been of people that most of them have been under the age of 17. Wow. 
Wow. And and do you still go up to the Jordan River to baptize, or do you use the Mediterranean sometimes now? Well, usually, uh, nowadays, we use the Baptist village. They have a swimming pool there. Uh, in a new facility, <laughs> we have a small baptistry that not we do there. Not far, maybe, from where Jesus was baptized. <laughs> no, not very far at all. But, but certainly a lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier, yes. Actually, one of the things we do, the, the reason, one of the reasons we don't use the Mediterranean Sea is that usually... After the baptism, we have a service, uh, okay. a regular service, and those who have been baptized, they sit in front of the church, and for the first time, we uh, we serve them the Lord's Supper. Oh, and wow. for that reason, we can't do it in an so open So baptism beach. and communion. For uh, the first time. Both ordinances that Christ left for his yeah. church. All right, now we're going to get to what's really exciting for me, but we should just mention, for several decades, the church you pastored was 30 people, 40 people and 50 people. And when Janet and I visited you guys not too many years ago, there were 500 people in this warehouse we're in right now that you called a church building. Um, you want to tell everybody the quick story, what happened? Yeah, well, in 1990, uh, the big wave of Russian immigrants started to come into the country. In fact, within Russian the, Jews, Russian Jews uh, coming from former Soviet Union. And I think within probably four or five years, the population of Israel grew up by about almost 25%. Wow. And that was the time where also uh, many of these immigrants came to faith uh, in the country. Uh, not just our congregation, but many congregations grew up, uh, they, they multiplied a few times mm-hmm. in terms of their numbers. And as you mentioned, our church was about uh, you know, 30, 40 people, eventually grew to about 400 and some people. Mm. And, and that, that was just one family took in one Russian family, and then they came to the yeah. Lord Yeshua, and then another family did it, and another family. Yeah, and also I think one of the things that we did, we eventually very quickly, when we realized uh, the need and the mm. potential, we mm. were able to hire uh, one of the families from our congregation as a full-time evangelist. And, then, uh, and since then, we always have had at least one or two or even three uh, evangelists that are going out and working not only among Russians but also uh, among uh, Israelis. Uh, and do you still have Russian translation? Oh yeah, we still have Russian. So the number of Russians have gone down because again the number of immigrants they're being have assimilated come in and they are being assimilated. Yes, but, but yet here you have a service in Russian and Hebrew, and when some goyim like me shows up. There will be an English translation for me. Uh, it's and also exciting. Deaf. And also we have we translate into deaf because we have a small uh, number of number of people deaf who people need to be signed to. to be signed. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. That's that's if you just joined us, Haven today, uh, Reverend David Zadok. We're here in Tel Aviv, and um, we're on our website posting some little vignettes of uh, where Jesus walked every day because we're having a Haven tour right now. David, your church is getting ready to move. This, again, is another big deal. It is indeed a big deal because, uh, you know, because the Church of Christ uh, is growing, and this is the first time that uh, Christian Church has uh, bought an empty piece of land, has gone to government and asked permission to build a community center. And a by, church. A, a church, building. yeah, a church building. And by, uh, by the grace of God, 
we have received that uh, permission to build. We have not received the final occupancy permission, and we which we hope to move in. But the building's it. finished. The building is almost finished. Uh, we have probably another week or two of uh, small things to do, uh, and uh, we hope to get that uh, that permission. And we've posted a couple of pictures on our website under going deeper. Uh, all right, let me let me say this. If I am I getting this right, this is the first church built that that you know of mm -hmm. built by jews in what is now israel in 2000 years yeah i think the the emphasis would be as if as far as you know as far as we know but this but is certainly, certainly in modern the last 500 yeah. years or whatever this is the first yeah, church yeah, built by jews not someone from outside built by jews but also built in a in a jewish uh, land you know yes. there are other places that have built uh, churches in israel in Druze village and other places uh, but this is the first time and that's why we eventually had to go all the way to the supreme court uh, to fight for uh, for that right well, because, of course, the Orthodox especially don't like any yeah, Jew who's presence. become a believer in Yeshua. Yes. Uh, th they will fight yeah. as hard as they can to keep that from happening. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is exciting. Okay, quickly, we've got two more things, and time is so fleeting here, David. Um, you wear a lot of hats. You lead Christian Witness to Israel, which is one of the oldest organizations, uh, ministries, to Israel, right? Goes yes. back way over a hundred years. Yeah, actually, it started with Robert May McChain. Uh, some, some people have read his biography, mm -hmm. the Scottish pastor who died in his twenties, and mm -hmm. and revival broke out when he was away preaching somewhere, somewhere else. else. Great story. And I should also say that uh, you're the director of Hageffen Publishing, which is a Christian publishing house, and. People in the U.S. and Canada listening to me right now may think that's oh well, what's that about? But I'm holding in my hand. I don't read Hebrew, just barely a little Greek. Uh, you tell them. I've, I've got it in front of me, and, and my hands are shaking. This is exciting. Yeah, well, this is, it is exciting because this is the, the fourth volume of what we call the testimony, which is the translation of the Masoretic text of the Old Testament, word by word, verse by verse, into modern Hebrew. Oh, okay. So I'll ask you again, like we've been talking before a couple times on the program, What's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that this is the first time that the Jewish and Israeli people reading the Hebrew can not only read the Old Testament, but also understand it. Uh, I probably would exaggerate a little bit by saying that it's to something it's very similar to what Martin Luther did when he translated the Bible into the German language, mm -hmm. enabling the German people for the first time to read the Bible in their own language, but also to understand it. Mm. So while we've translated from Hebrew to Hebrew, and we spent about almost 20 years in this project, mm. but this is the first time that Israelis are able to read the Old Testament and also understand it, because much of what they read of the Masoretic text, which even if we go back to the time of King David, we're talking about 3,000 years ago, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. much of that has changed. So they even a, an adult Israeli uh, not always understands. They can what read the words they can and read, read it aloud, mm -hmm. but they don't understand what all the words Much mean. Much of what they read, they don't. Uh, they don't understand. And I always give the example of not just King James, but the writings of Shakespeare's, and that's only five, six hundred years ago. Uh, to take a five or six year old and and who's just learning to read English and have him try to read Shakespeare, 
it would be similar to that. Very similar. Okay. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And people should know every Jewish child in Israel has Bible as a curriculum, but they're they're using the Masoretic text, mm-hmm. and they don't really know what it means. Yeah, it is uh, the Bible uh, is mandatory in our public schools. Okay. And uh, and while they teach them much of what they read, they don't understand, and that's why uh, this five volume that it's uh, now we have all of the Old Testament is often so valuable for a lot of uh, the uh, the Jewish people, not just the believer community, but the Jewish people. Because it can help their children with the curriculum, with the Bible curriculum. And it becomes important too, doesn't it, in even uh, learning uh, about the coming of a Messiah. Uh, for, for, for instance, I know you've told me in the past that uh, most Orthodox Jews, they stick with the law. Uh, they, like they never really read Isaiah 53. Yeah, Isaiah fifty-three, for example, as you mentioned, is one of the is one of the very few passages that it's not read in the daily reading uh, of the Old Testament in the synagogues, uh, or passages like Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, and other passages that are very messianic are often not read uh, and neglected for many reasons uh, mm-hmm. among uh, the Jewish people and certainly among the the Orthodox. And by providing these books that has all of the all of the prophets, all of the writings, and certainly the law. They are able to hold in their hands uh, the scriptures, but all of it, and not just portions of it, Mm. because it's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So this this is like a Bible translation just waiting to happen, took 20 years, and you've only completed it just recently. Yes. uh, In fact, in July of 2013, we had a big celebration Mm. of the fifth and the last volume of the Old Testament, and... uh, and since then, we've started working also on the New Testament. It's mm. the in the translation of the translation is meant for young people, so it's a limited vocabulary. But as I said, it's a word by word translation and not not paraphrase and not uh, uh, commentary. And you do other printing too, like for Jews for Jesus. You do a lot of their uh, translating into Hebrew and publish books. And they're the largest organization, evangelistically speaking, in the entire country of Israel. So, yeah. and I'm also looking at one other thing. You're 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 working on Matthew Henry here. I'm holding only what the Gospel of John, and he's pretty heavy. But uh, uh, yeah. the Matthew Henry commentary. Uh, that was another dream that's beginning to come true. Yes, this is again, uh, we are making history. This is the first time that Matthew Henry has been translated. That's the Gospel of John. Now we are working on the on the Psalms also with Matthew Henry. It would be a three-volume book. You know, Matthew Henry liked to write a lot and very yes. in-depth. And we are even working on Spurgeon. Uh, we are translating ah, one of okay. his uh, devotionals that was done by Christian Focus. Ah, there's a bridge, there's unabridged, but Matthew Henry, you're hoping to do a lot of Matthew Henry yes, then. Yes, uh, and the unabridged. All right. Uh, Reverend David Zadok, my Jewish brother in Yeshua, I know we have Jewish people listening, but would you pray for all men, women, children on planet Earth, Jew and Gentile alike, mm-hmm. to meet Yeshua? Sure. Dear Lord, we, we come before you with the great knowledge that you are the faithful God, that you are the God who is faithful to his promises and to his covenants. And we also thank you that you are a God of love. And uh, mm. at this time, mm. we want to pray for the many people who are suffering in this world. We ask that uh, in your timing uh, and in your way, you bring the comfort to them. And we know that the only real comfort can come to 
recognizing that that Jesus Yeshua is the Messiah, mm. is our Lord yes. and also our Savior. Lord. And I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of many people who are even at this moment are listening to us mm. to understand the gospel and that uh, you to your Holy Spirit uh, would give them a new heart uh, and a new life and a new birth. We thank you that we can know and be assured that you always are present and you always hear our prayers for we ask it in Jesus name. <clears throat> Amen. David Sadak, my Sephardic Jewish brother in Yeshua. Thank you for joining us on Haven today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I also want to thank David Zadok for joining me at dinner with he and his wife, Esther, a few nights ago, sharing his faith in his Messiah, Yeshua. If you want to hear more content like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you listen? And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out give us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email, and there you can find additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again at Christmas time on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm-hmm.